This March, I'll be launching a special run of episodes called Theory in the Flesh. I borrow the term Theory in the Flesh from and with gratitude to our feminist and QTPOC elders to draw attention to the health inequalities and disparities experienced by queer black people in the UK. Theory in the Flesh is made possible because of funding from the British Podcast Awards Fund and the Wellcome Trust, and they have created a survey to better understand listener appetite for health and research-related podcast content. I would be so grateful if you could take a few minutes to fill out the survey. Alongside showing support for Busy Being Black, you'll be able to enter yourself into a draw for tickets to this year's British Podcast Awards. Head to podcastviews.com to fill out the anonymous and data-protected survey. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. These are conversations at our intersections and an opportunity for us to hear firsthand from others in our community how they have learned and are learning to thrive. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so lets others like us hear the voices amplified here. Regular listeners to the show may have gathered that I get quite frustrated with the limited conversations we mixed-race people tend to have about being mixed-race and this silly idea that mixed-race families are somehow emblematic of a progressive society. And this isn't because our lived experiences aren't valid or a blending of cultures isn't sometimes good, but because many of us do not acknowledge meaningfully the privileges we accrue because of our proximity to whiteness. But this proximity to whiteness is also dangerous. So, how do we have more nuanced conversations about being mixed race that account for more than an internal struggle with the binary black and white? My guest today, Chantel Lewis, is an activist, researcher, sociologist, and podcaster based at Goldsmiths, and this is her beat. Chantel's work is focused on structural racism, accountability, and class inequality, and her doctoral research explores black mixed race families in a predominantly white town in the Midlands. She takes us through some of the initial findings in her research, including how how a lack of racial literacy in these families results in children who don't speak about the racism they encounter in the world. We discuss what led her to this research, what she's learned about how she navigates the world as a mixed black woman, and she names the people and comrades who have helped her expand her understanding and her scholarship. She says that we must look beyond our individual identities to understand what our mixedness affords us, what our proximity to whiteness subjects us to, and her thoughts on why it's important that we mixed black people reflect and think critically about our mixedness. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Chantel Lewis. Chantel. Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, and I'm a bit embarrassed because I feel like I just super fangirled you um, <laughs> because <laughs> I listen to your voice a lot. I particularly over the last two weeks, I've been listening to your whole podcasts collection and catalogue, and it is it's it's I think it's one of the best out there. I really do. Thank you. I'm gonna say what you told me. You said that it's your top three, along with Say Your Mind and Receipts. I was gonna say that, but yeah, it is. <laughs> say Your Say Your Mind and the Receipts podcast are my, yeah are my big big ones, but this is definitely up there with it now, hundred percent. That is such an amazing compliment. 100%, Thank you, hundred <laughs> percent. So I've been following you for a while, yeah, because I've been actively looking for black academics who are kind of exploring blackness in academia mm-hmm. or topics related to. Um, blackness and you had written a very powerful and wonderfully incisive and insightful article about what it means to be mixed race or what it doesn't mean to be mixed race Um, which leads us to your your 
doctoral research, mm-hmm. which is in black mixed race families in a predominantly white town in the West Midlands. And yeah. so, why this area of research? Because whiteness um, has been such a big part of my life. And when I talk about whiteness, I don't necessarily mean white people, although there is a lot of white people that have been in my life. Um, I mean it as both a structure, um, I mean supremacy, I mean ideology, I mean ways of living. Um, Yeah, it's been a big part of my life. And I don't know, I think a lot of the work that I do in terms of my PhD is a little bit self-indulgent because it is a bit like I'm trying to talk to I'm trying to I'm trying to talk to my experience but in a way that is critical and reflective um, which is difficult because there's lots of things that have happened in my life that I would sort of classify as like unfair or like entrenched in racism but I'm trying to sort of fight against the yeah I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, you said in your article that um, that we that we as black mixed race people, and I mean, I identify as black, but yeah. I think for the sake of this conversation, we'll use black mixed race. Yeah, I identify. As, I identify as black as well. Okay. But, but yeah, so we could yeah, black mixed race. Yeah. Black mixed race. Yeah. Black mixed race. Yeah. With um, white parents. With white parents. Yeah, because yeah. we. I think we have similar yeah. backgrounds. Yeah. My mum is white British. My dad's mm. African American. Mm. Um, and as you've heard, I really struggle with this conversation around mixedness, which might err on the side of um, we are some sort of, um, em- we are emblematic of progress. Mm-hmm. And in your article, you mention that this conversation about mixed race people being emblematic of a progressive future or a better future actually is regressive. Mm-hmm. It links back to the kind of um, multiracial melting pot narrative mm-hmm. that has since been disproven. Yeah, of yeah. course. And I think it's really important to <clears throat> caveat what I say in the article um, with the fact that this is something that people have argued against um, in the past. And this also um, resurgence in us talking about mixedness alongside of societal progress is also something that's happened in the past as well. I sort of pinpoint the 90s really and obviously at that time like the night like the 90s and even now you have this resurgence of far-right politics and it sometimes feels like it's a really um reductive but easy way for the sort of liberal media to position these families as something which are which fight this politics, this far-right politics. And um, so what do you think is fundamentally, you know, because you've embarked on this research mm. or are embarking upon this research yeah. in the process of it, what do you think is fundamentally incorrect about, or problematic is probably mm. a better word, about this approach uh, or this narrative around black mixed race being mm. progressive? Um, okay, well, it's not true, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I get, I get, I feel like, yeah, I feel, I sometimes feel like the people that I can sometimes be the hardest on um, are black mixed race people. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and be a bit kinder, um, particularly since I've published this article as well. Um, why do you ask me why do I think? Yeah, so, so what's fundamentally um, wrong, wrong about that narrative that mixed race people are uh, emblematic of progress or are, is something that we should aspire to in society? Um, it's just so... Uh, what I want to help do is tease it out for our mixed-race 
um, listeners, yeah. but also for our um, listeners who are not mixed race, yeah. right? Because I think it's important that we have that clarity around mm. kind of why, why it's fundamentally erroneous. Mm. Okay, so I think... And this is probably one of the reasons why um, sociologists that often get to talk about this stuff is because I, this answer is completely multifaceted and multi-layered. So it's not like I have, apart from saying it's wrong, it's not <laughs> like I have a concrete answer why. Um, I think it, well, like I say in the article, there is an assumption that white people that have um, had children with black people have somehow overcome race and racism have somehow overcome their um stereotypes biases um their inabilities to or their supposed abilities to grapple with their own um complicity in white supremacy like i think that is such a big myth and i think it's really good particularly when people are engaged in interracial relationships who talk about how difficult that process is because like you don't have like it, it just isn't true that if you're with someone that is a person of color or a black person and you're white that you understand everything. Mm. So I think that's I think that's a big reason why it's wrong. I think um, number two, it also assumes that mixed black mixed race people who are the product of these unions have also overcome um, any internal issues mm. with um, anti-blackness in this case. And I think one of the things that I've been really trying to write very sensitively, but it's, it's actually proven quite difficult because obviously they're participants in my um, PhD, um, is grapple with how whiteness is so embedded in our family lives, but also in the places we grow up and how that does affect the way we will treat um, our darker skinned brothers and sisters. And I don't think that there is enough honesty around that. Mm. Um, again, like I'm not, I'm not the first person to say this. And I think it's really important that I sort of say that so much of my work is grounded um, in the work of black people that have said this over time and time and time again. What's happened for me and why I feel like I need to be more open about this now is when I started talking to people about my PhD research, particularly talking to black women about it, dark skinned black women, they were like, I've never heard people, particularly black mixed race people, talk about mixedness in this way. And I was like, what, are, what really? They were like, no, every time I've tried to get them to engage in sort of a critical dialogue about blackness, um, they're very defensive, almost a bit like white people. Um, so that was, a, that was something. There was also, like, we're in a very urgent political moment um, and seeing broadsheet big media outlets dedicate so much of their resource into highlighting the mixed race population during this time during this time i find and like like not that much shade but at the same time like i do feel like we have to take responsibility a little bit and i'm happy to be the be a person to critique this um so that's another that's another thing and then the third thing is i'm at a time in my life where I have quite a lot of privilege in terms of my own, um, I've always had my light skinned privilege, but I have a um, economic social privilege that I feel like I've never really had before. And that means that I have the capacity, I think, to talk about this stuff a little bit more than other people maybe do. Mm. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel like it's a bit, it's a bit of a, 
I have feel a bit I feel quite responsible um, for talking about this more openly. Um, and it's brilliant to as a as a black mixed race yeah. person who is desperate to have this conversation yeah. more critically. It is so refreshing to sit in front of someone who's studying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because there's I wrote something um, this morning mm. in preparation for this. Um, I find it interesting, maybe instructive, that we mixed race people at once make use of our proximity to whiteness, a proximity that is granted, mm. and yet try and distance ourselves from it. We can act very white in that way, use it, benefit from it, and then ignore its implications. Boom. <laughs> Absolute boom. That is exactly, that Josh, like, come and do my PhD, please. <laughs> like, that is exactly, exactly what um, I'm sort of trying to say. And I'm, I'm happy to tell your listeners and anyone that wants to know this, but like, the, I was really pleased with how much the article was shared um, and how many particularly black mixed race people were reading it. Um, but the people that were most, not I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say hostile towards it, but people that had the most objections were mixed people or black men. Um, Which is a very interesting yeah. dichotomy. So I think that, I, I don't know, even this week I was talking to my friend, I was like, why don't people like talking about their privilege? And I know that sounds like a really naive question. And this is, again, like, this makes me sound like I'm this like, ultimate, like, righteous person who, like, will talk loads about, critique themselves. I'm not saying that. I've definitely engaged in or participated in things that I'm arguing against now. Like, you can't say that you... I can't sit here and lie and say that I haven't, but... I want to rectify that stuff now. And I just don't really understand why you wouldn't want to, people don't want to do that either. Mm. Um, and I guess it possibly draws to um, what quite a lot of people that have spoken about um, mixed race, particularly within university settings and the academy, it draws to feelings of belonging. Um, right, like if I acknowledge the privilege inherent in my light, my light skinness, mm. I'm somehow less black. Mm. I belong less. Mm. And I would really like to know if any black mixed race people listening to this who have spoken to darker skinned black people about um, their privilege, have they told them that talking about their privilege means they're not black? I would quite like to. I'd, do, oh, do you know what I mean? Interesting question. So, so right. I don't, I, I have not, like, if anything, when I do talk about my privilege to, um, particularly my black female friends, there, it's it it opens up more opportunity for me to have a dialogue about my lived experience that I almost sort of argue against in the article. So, sort of showing those um, that those proximities to whiteness and those proximities to privilege. Yeah. Actually, so, for context, because in the article you talk about there's you're kind of. Um, you do not like the way that mixed race people's lived experiences generally is promoted as this war between two selves. <laughs> which are, <laughs> and which, that is kind of the dominant narrative yeah, around it. It's yeah. like, how did, you, how did you reconcile your blackness and your yeah. whiteness? And you're like, spoiler alert, you never do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, God, that's such a good point. Like, you never, yeah. And I just feel like because we're so fixated on fixed notions of race, because mixed people, seem to disrupt this there is just this overemphasis on what that is like living that and I don't know 
it's not right and what it can mean as well yeah and what it can mean and this isn't to say like i've been accused of like basically just silencing that experience and that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying it's not the only experience and i'm also saying that lots of people like talking about their I, I, i don't Sorry, I'm also saying that lots of people like talking about their identity and they should have the space to do that. Well, and that that critical analysis of the two identities, right, Mm -hmm. of of blackness and whiteness and how those converge in a child or a young adult, you know, however you, you know, whenever you begin to have that conversation with yourself Mm. is actually helped, which is what I think you're saying, by having a critical conversation about why those two things collide in the way that they do. But we can't do that unless we acknowledge that we walk through the world positioned more closely to whiteness. Mm-hmm. And also, like, another thing that's really difficult about this, I told, I'm, there's going to be so many things about what I say that are just so multi Like, I just don't have a, a number one answer for everything. But what we also have to be careful with with these conversations is that we're not then... <clears throat> it's not up to our darker-skinned brothers and sisters to feel like they have to receive us talking about our privilege. Right, right. Because sometimes, like, it's annoying when I find, I don't know, <laughs> like, sometimes when, like, overly woke white people talk to me about how, like, they get it and yes. stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's such a fine line. <laughs> but I don't think, like, I don't think it's an impossible line to tread. But I also what, don't want people to think that I'm, I'm yeah, engaged Yeah, like, we shouldn't be walking of, up to every... All of our dark-skinned siblings and being like, hey, I want to talk about my privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, I totally know your life has been a lot, uh, has been harder than mine. Like, oh, this is, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, so so, you can, so yeah. I feel like we just have to think, and this is what I was trying to say in the article, very um, sensitively about how we communicate what our lived experience is. And I don't think we've done that. Um, I don't think we're doing that. Um, and there will be people that say to me, well, I'm doing it in my life. My friends are doing it. And this is one of the things we try to do in sociology is try to get people to not always think that their lived experience is universal or mm. that that is something that's happening across the board. Um, so a lot of so another other critiques that have come to me from black mixed race people are like, well, I've been talking about the difficult stuff. Like I've been doing this and I understand that they probably are and fair play to them, but doesn't mean that the majority are. Yeah, I love that. So I have a thought that I wrote down that I think links back to about around black belonging, mm-hmm. right? So the proximity to whiteness and acceptance by whiteness feels like a challenge to my blackness. Okay. Okay, so I could maybe answer that through talking about some of the times that I've spent with the families in my research. So one of the things that's really interesting and pretty sad to be honest about like the interviews and times that I've spent with um, the black mixed race families in my project is that no one's ever really spoken about the fact that they are a black mixed race family or that they have experienced racism within their lives right. so I, I describe in my um in the PhD like you there's set chapters you have to do and one of them is called a methodology and you talk about um how you what are the things what are the methodological barriers that you come up against um 
And one of the methodological barriers that I came up against was the unspoken, in quotations, and that being that so many of these things, whether it be whiteness, whether it be their experiences of racism, had remained unspoken between family members. So I'd have siblings in front of me telling me about a violent racist incident on the bus, and this is a this is a, a black mixed race woman telling me about this, and then her brother being sat next to me going, um, "What? That happened to you?" Um, I then have black mixed race people within my project who don't want to talk about explicit forms of racialization and racism they've experienced within their childhood or within their lives. They don't want to talk about it around their mums, particularly around their white mums, because they don't want to upset them. So it's almost like, and this is why I draw on place so much um, and how we can't, I can't really talk about mixedness in London. I can talk more about mixedness in these white spaces. Mm. Like, your question, although it's very important, like if you're, if I'm talking about, yeah, how, how do my, how do people in my project, or how do I talk about blackness without feeling, talk about whiteness without feeling like I'm cancelling out my blackness? Well, at this stage, they're not even like they're just not even there. Do, do, does that make sense? It's like it there's so much. I think there's so much unlearning. There's so much talking. There's so much communicating that needs to happen. I don't know whether it's perhaps different in spaces and areas where it is multi-ethnic and multiracial, where there is, like, I don't even, I don't know what it's like to go to school with all black people and be the black mixed race person in the class. Like, I don't know what that's like. What I do know is I know whiteness very well. And I guess some of the responses to that constant silencing of their experiences but also that embedded whiteness in the lives of my participants one of their responses is to attach themselves to blackness as well because that's where they felt at home and that's where they felt that um they've been accepted and i think that's interesting that is amazingly interesting yeah and i would say i would say i mean i'm quite lucky like one of the things that I'm really trying to do, but I don't know how to do it, is to, to dispel the myth that um, black mixed race people with white pair, white mothers are less able to talk about this stuff. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to dispel that, this myth. What do you mean less able to talk about this stuff? Uh, so lots of people will say that um, black mixed race people with white mums are less engaged, both culturally, like able to talk about this stuff in a way that isn't anti-black basically. And if you have, if you're socialized predominantly by a white parent, then it's gonna make you more inclined to be anti-black. And I think there is definitely examples of that, but I just don't think it's a universal thing. And I don't think anything's universal to be honest, but um, I'm trying to sort of, yeah, tease that stuff out a little bit um, in the project. Um, Someone said to me over the weekend that, that matriarchs mothers carry the culture and as a way of asking me how i encountered my blackness if it wasn't through my mother but 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 yeah i again like i don't want to dismiss is that the that. same thing i don't, yeah this, okay. this is what i'm this is what i'm talking to sorry do, am i just like going going to and fro to and fro okay <laughs> cool um that is effectively what i'm talking to because i just I understand why it's said, and I do think that you could probably find a lot of cases where that is true. But but that's also determ- That's also saying that black fathers can't mm. um, can't perform can't perform these things either. And I would say that my dad, um, even though he wasn't around loads in my childhood, 
it's only now that I get older that I realise how much work he was doing with me from such a young age to understand who I was and what it meant to be black. Mm. Um, so much so that like, it's even now like, so we lived at, yeah, my parents met in London. Um, I split up not long after I was born, but my mum is from um, Medway in Kent, so very white working class um, background. Um, and yeah, we lived in Kent. And then when I was about nine, my mum's partner got a job and we moved to the Midlands. We moved to Bromsgrove. And it's only now that my dad has told me that he sort of said to my mum, you can't move her to this white place. You can't move her to this white place. And it is, uh, and uh, uh, like, there's no disrespect to my mum. Like, you do what you do, like, at Mm. the time, don't you? Whether it's to do with money, whether it's to do with, yeah, all these different things, mainly to do with money for um, a lot of the time in my family. But I do really hear what he was saying now. I really, really hear that. Um, And I think... Yeah, to say that only mums can perform that stuff, I think is, yeah, not necessarily correct all the time. I think what's really coming out in this, for me, which didn't come out necessarily in our pre-chat, and so it's not in our conversation outline, is the damage that's being done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's a damage I know, but that I haven't really thought about until you reflected that back to me. So in particular, the story about the violent race, racist incident on the bus mm. that the brother didn't know about mm-hmm. made me think of an experience that my sister had that I n- didn't know about. And when I found out years later, it crushed me, right? Mm. And so how, how, so this idea that mixed race children are somehow emblematic of the future or of some racial progress is inherently flawed because they are not prepared to have these conversations yeah. in the very first instance yeah. because they're not taught how to. Yeah, like you've hit it down on the head, Josh. And two two things I would say. Um, the first thing is so many of my participants have told me how therapeutic taking part in the research has been and how grateful they are for me to um, for me including them like I won't go into too much detail about some of the participants lives but like just really just really difficult stuff that has happened to a lot of them um and getting them to talk about their experiences in a way that isn't fixated on identity in a way that talks about family dynamics in a way that talks about this predominantly white town that they've lived in I think has been really important um in trying to yeah, unearth some of that damage that's been done, but also um, try and find routes to rectify and reconcile it, um, which isn't something that I can do on my own. It's not sure. something I can do on my own and during this these three years that I've been with these participants, but um, it is something that we can work towards. Um, so much, so much stuff that's happened in my participants' lives that they haven't really recognised has been integral to where they are now. And that being like racial discrim- like racist discrimination, racialization, like difficult aspects of family life. And it was only through me talking to them about this this difficult stuff, as I talk about in the article, that we sort of unearthed that. Um I've been trying to work out why and it can't just be because you have a white parent that this stuff isn't spoken about. And what is universal across the, all the families that I've spoken to is the parents of the young, the young people. I mean, the young people, the black mixed race people in my project, they're aged between like 25 and 39. So 
a range of ages and the parents are all 50 plus a lot of the parents like mo- like a lot of um interracial relationships and marriages in the 70s 80s and 90s they were um rejected by each other's families and suffered very bad racist abuse in in public spaces I don't know whether there was perhaps a lot of trauma there with the parents and that and them having children perhaps perhaps after they had children they just wanted to forget about it I don't know I haven't really or like they could shield their children from that racist abuse by not talking about it by not talking about it that and that I can't find which doesn't work yeah I (laughs) I can't find any other reason other than not talking about it as to be a reason why they think they're shielding it and it's not like some of my participants have not told their parents about what's happened to them. Like um, one of the women in my project, a really horrific racist thing happened to her that was um, that was done by a teacher at school. Um, and she told um, her parent and her mother actually, and the mother didn't, the mother said, oh, you just need to ignore him and stay away from him. And there's so many different examples of that, of just sort of pushing things under the carpet. And I think there are a lot of different reasons why that happens. But I just feel like, yeah, I don't feel like we speak about it enough, to be honest. And things like my participants talking about um, being called the N-word or being called um, just not very nice racist names on the playground and white parents in particular um, saying stuff like, oh, you're the same as everyone else. Just tell them you're a bit more tanned is something that someone said. Like these proper like post-racial narratives. um, And I guess what's really difficult about this topic as well is there's been quite a lot um, in mixed race studies that's been written about white mothers in particular that mother um, mixed race children, black mixed race children. There's been some really great work that shows that some of some mothers will um, adopt something that uh, um, France Widdens Twine argues as a racial literacy and will make sure that um, they're engaged in different cultures um, to ensure that their child doesn't feel like engrossed by whiteness. Um, but something that me and my friend Karis Campion, who also writes about mixed race, um, black mixed race people, have been thinking about is how a sort of, we can't say that all white mothers with black mixed race kids are all racially literate. We can't say that. We can't say that they that they have always done the right thing. No, not least because we know that would be horribly untrue. But that is what the academy. That is what the academy and what the media. I feel like almost pushes. Right. Right. Where is the like where and and the dialogue and is. And they, they yeah. are, so you're saying there's an implicit assumption that there is a racial literacy that is not there. Yeah. Right. Well, it might be there in some families, but it, it can't be there in all families. Yeah, not least because we don't talk about race in this country properly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. And I think that um, Gail Lewis written a beautiful article called um, Birth in Racial Difference, and it's about her white mother. Um, she's black mixed race. Um, uh, definitely one of my academic heroes. And um, she basically talks about intimacies and proximities to love and racism and how linked how linked they are when you have a white parent um and i think the reason for that silence around the possible shortcomings of some of our white parents is because it's too hard it's too painful it's too um sensitive we don't want to upset people and I know, like, my, like I, I, I love my mum to bits, of course, um, but I know she'll listen to this and she'll she'll feel guilty or hurt. And it's not, it's, it, I think that's a, a sort of white fragility thing as well. Mm. And it's really, it's really difficult, I think, for us to have these conversations because there's so much about our family life, regardless of race, that we aren't good at communicating it anyway. So to talk about some of these things is just so alien to us. I just, uh, I don't know what the starting point is, to be honest. Maybe therapy for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that should be part of reparations. Yeah, reparations, yeah, therapy for everyone. But I think that, um, yeah, I think that's one of the real difficult ones that I would like us to possibly think more about. And again, how those relationships then impact the way that people within our families will treat black people as well. The word that keeps my spirit is speaking to me. The word, I know that sounds a bit woo-woo. No, 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 not at all. The word that keeps coming up is overcorrection. Okay. I don't know what it means. Overcorrection. I, I know what it means. I think we're overcorrecting. Yeah. So I think sometimes is. yeah, no, over, okay, sorry. Go on, so go on, go on. I was relatively, I remember my, my first experience, my very first experience with race was when a white kid threatened to knife me at the park. This mm-hmm. was in Bedford. I know we don't represent that I'm <laughs> born in Bedford, but. <laughs> Redford, but <laughs> for Bedford, sorry, predominantly white space, yeah. Yes, um, and I was at the park on my own. Aww. This guy put out a, a gold uh, switchblade mm-hmm. and stabbed a Coke can and said, I'm gonna kill you, nigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I ran home and my mom, furious, marched me out of the house to this kid's parents' house and just stood in the door and yelled at them, mm. you know? That was my first experience. The second one that I remember is me coming home from school and saying to my dad, I don't get why the black boys don't like me. And he grabbed my hand and he turned my wrist over and he said, you see that? You can see your veins. You're a house nigga, I'm a field nigga. Mm. And that was, those were kind of like these two foundational. And so in those moments, particularly the second one, I think I overcorrected. I was like, well, if you think I'm an uppity nigga, I'm a be uppity yeah. nigga, right? And I kind of veered towards whiteness, mm-hmm. as it were. Let me see if I can't get comfortable within whiteness. Mm-hmm. And then when I awakened as a black man, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 17 years later, mm-hmm. I sometimes feel like I've over, well, I've come back to center now. 
but that I feel that overcorrection sometimes. Like I feel like I have to be louder, more adamant, more activism, more, more, mm-hmm. more to make sure that people know I'm black, I identify as black, I don't believe in this white supremacy mm-hmm. shit, this white mm-hmm. dominance. Yeah. I think I'm definitely guilty of doing that as well. Mm. Um, and I think just saying that is really good. I think that's in my mind, like that's the sort of pro- that's progressive. Like talking about talking about how we can possibly overcompensate because we feel do we is it guilt? Is it wanting to belong? Is it yeah, as you say, overcorrectness. I think it's really interesting these examples that you gave about your parents, how they reacted, because that is definitely something that's come up in my research. Um the 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 dialogue, the um the sort of snap, the having a conversation when something's happened about why it's happened and trying to rectify it in the way that they knew how to. So your mum took this approach, your dad took that approach. I would say that that's definitely something that's come up in my research. The approach that I wish we maybe did more was having an ongoing dialogue about race and racism. And that would perhaps be more like, perhaps if your dad had sat down with you a little bit more and spoke to you about the different intricacies of blackness. Perhaps that would have been a little bit more, but yeah, we're, we're human and parents make mistakes. But at the same time, like I do feel like the reactions are perhaps part of the problem as well. Mm. Um, and that's because we just don't, yeah, we just don't really talk about this stuff. So uh, one of my listeners reached out to me mm-hmm. and this is purely the universe at work. She reached out to say, I'm pregnant. I'm white. Yeah. The father is black. Yeah. We're no longer together. Wow. And she had listened to uh, another of the conversations with one yeah. of our um, mixed race uh, siblings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, so I'm really curious about what I should be doing as a white woman uh-huh. who is about to give birth to a black mixed race child. Yeah. And I told her that I asked my mom, a, few, a couple years ago, did you ever even consider that you were marrying and about to have kids with a black man? Mm. She said, never even crossed my mind. She was like, I was 20. Mm. <laughs> never crossed my mind. And we're only just now beginning to have a conversation about race. So I said that you're even thinking about mm. what you can be doing is already a great step forward. So how do we, what is your advice Based on your research. So so this is really interesting because I saw my dad the other week and sent him the article and whatever. And I was like, what did you think, dad? And he was like, eh. I was like, what, what did you mean? He was like, well, it was good. It was very well crafted. But my dad's got an American accent. I can't do his accent, but um, um, it's very, very well crafted. But who's it for? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, who's it for? I was like, uh... Black mixed race people, maybe white parents, maybe some other mixed populations. He was like, well, to me, it reads like an article that's for people that live and work for universities. And I was like, oh, and he was like, it's not accessible. And I was like, what, really? And to be honest, I do think I need to get better at doing that. So I think I need to get better at communicating what I'm doing in my research because I would love for my research to be picked up by white mothers um, that are about to have um, black mixed race kids. Um, what is my advice? I don't know. I know it's so difficult to I think offer it's really, advice. I think it's really difficult. And I think this is, I think this is something, I'm, I just also want to caveat my research. Even though I'm focused on black mixed race people in a predominantly white space, 
this isn't to say that these are the only people within this family that experience racialization and racism in predominantly white spaces. Like I think predominantly white spaces, particularly towns in rural England, can be very violent places for people of colour. Mm. Um, particularly for black people as well, particularly for dark skinned black people, like it's the, the reason why it's black mixed race within my project is because I have, yeah, a lived experience of it. I wanted to examine whiteness within those families. And yeah, anyway, so that's that. My, a big bit of advice I would say, and I think some people would say this is wrong or whatever, but is live in a city um, or live close to a city. Um, I think, I, I believe that so much of the things that I experienced growing up in a predominantly white space was so violent and it's because of there wasn't as many people that looked like me. That's really interesting. And I feel like that's just a really quite practical way of doing de- That's not saying that that... that is the only way. That's yeah. the only way. But in my experience, like, if I ever had children, I wouldn't bring them up. Um, I have a better... Places. I think I have a better framing for that question. It just came to me. Okay. <laughs> Knowing what we know now yeah. as people with very identical yeah. identities almost yeah. or um, backgrounds yeah. plus what you've uncovered in your research mm-hmm. there are some key themes right mm-hmm. towards um, there, there's the damage that's happening yeah. and correct me at any point mm-hmm. if, if I'm wrong with this there's a damage that's happening through silence mm-hmm. not feeling comfortable or safe enough to speak about racist in- incidents there's the lack of cultural anchors in some cases, mm-hmm. right? We There is no proximity to um, a blackness, the culture, the art, et cetera, et cetera, I think which is where your city living comes up. And then there's the kind of, the lack of racial literacy mm. in black mixed race families. How might we counter those three things? Oh, it's really difficult. As in, what do you wish had been done different in your own life, maybe? It's difficult because I don't know how... I don't know... I know that some of this can be overcome, but to what extent can it all be overcome? Because one of my participants, black mixed race woman, very close to her white mum, but said that she didn't feel like she could talk about this stuff with her mum because she was white. And that was it, categorically. Right. Is that because she's never spoke to her about race or blackness possibly if there had been an ongoing discussion from a young age yeah I don't know I always think about and particularly more recently how much media podcasts books there's so much even in the last 10 years there's so much information there's so much things that aren't just like academic that people can get hold of like I think that definitely interrogating your own whiteness I think is a really good starting point. Um, I think really thinking about your place in the world will really help you understand your son or daughter's place in the world. Um, I think often when people are giving advice to white people having black mixed race kids in particular, um, they don't talk enough about what that person needs to do as an individual and the focus is on the um, black child. Of course. Um, and I do think, yeah, interrogating that your position can be really, could help, definitely, as a very good starting point, yeah. And interrogating that by, yeah, reading, thinking about thinking about things, thinking about things more critically, to what extent have decisions in your life or things in your life happened because you are white? 
like very di- like very difficult things to do as an individual but I think necessary do you think your PhD has helped you heal or <sighs> reconcile yeah 100% it's definitely been quite painful though I'm really lucky I've got a black therapist she's brilliant um, <laughs> I've definitely needed her it's definitely helped me heal um, but it's also made me realise how bad like I knew the area that I grew up in was racist but hearing other people's experiences within the area that we grew up in I didn't realise I didn't realise how bad it was going to be. Often what sociologists say before you go um, to do your research is that you always think you know what you're going to find um, and it always surprises you. Really? So it's made, it's helped me heal, but it's also made me a bit more angry um, because there's a lot of stuff. In, and obviously this happens across the world, but I'm very much focused on these white rural English mm-hmm. spaces. And I call them English very um, purposely as well because, yeah, I find it's very much synonymous with whiteness. Um, I, I think they're very, they're hotbeds basically of um, racism. So in my preparation for this conversation, I was looking and searching and I came across this amazing essay by Claudia Rankine, mm-hmm. which I shared with you. And for the listeners, um, she references Cheryl Harris's whiteness as property. American law, Harris writes, has recognized a property interest in whiteness. Mm-hmm. So in this article, Rankine is ex- examining an experience that she had waiting in the queue at the airport to board first class. And she explores how her presence in that first class queue meant she was encroaching upon the space protected by whiteness or that Mm -hmm. attends whiteness. And she said, it's hard to exist and also accept my lack of existence. Frank Wilderson III, chair of African-American studies at the University of California, Irvine, borrows the sociological term, quote, social death to explain my there but not their status in a historically anti-black society. The outrage that occasioned the white passengers comment to her were a reaction to the unseen taking up space space itself is one of the understood privileges of whiteness. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, Mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. It got me to thinking about your concerns that you raised Mm -hmm. in our pre-chat about how mixed race people often take up space. Mm -hmm. And I thought, shit, it's very white. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, there is. And even in like, yeah, as I said before, like even in some of the critiques of my um, article, um, that have come from black mixed race people or mixed race people, I've very much reminded me of white people. Like, I'm sorry, I have. Like, I I just, that that fragility, I feel like is very much present. It's like, oh, I'm doing this, or I engage in this. or So yeah, that space I think is really, um, really important because I feel like, because a lot of our lives are quite, a lot of our lives are complicated, um, we feel like, as black mixed-race people, well, we often perpetuate this narrative that ours are more, complica- more complicated than other people just because we have right. two parents of different um, ethnicities. Um, and I think that's wrong. Um, and I think it's something that we should be very much aware of. Um, and we should be making space for other people to talk about their... Um, I think it was on an episode that you did, I can't remember who you were interviewing, but someone was talking about CLR James, talking about identity and how identity doesn't get us anywhere. We have to talk about the bigger stuff. Yeah, um, I, and I still don't know what that means because you mentioned this in your article. Yeah, go on. I, well, because I know I've said this before, Yeah. that 
everything I do, I think, hinges upon how I identify mm. or my identity. Yeah. Particularly at the intersection of queerness and blackness. Yes. I feel like I operate a very specific, within a very specific space. Yeah. And this kind of like rabid attachment I have to that identity but, but informs talking- every single thing. Yeah. So I don't necessarily understand how something is not about identity. Well, I think you've kind of explained, answered your question there. Oh. Like you talk about, you're, you're talking about your blackness and how that intersects with your queerness. Like you're talking about two different strands of your identity. Like what I kind of argue in the article is talking about, just talking about that one identity. So oh, black mixed race, race as, as, as the identity. identity right. I think is, I think isn't telling the full story. And I feel like that's often what you read about. Um, when you when um, black mixed race people talk about their identity, so I think you're already there. Right, like, right. And this is where queer theory helps so much of this stuff because just always ahead of the game because you're talking about what it means to not conform to what society says is in quotations normal. So I think that it's. I basically think one of the reasons why you maybe don't you maybe you're struggling with that um, quote is because. You're, you haven't done it. Mm. You don't, you're, you're not engaged in that. Right. Does, does, that, does that... Yeah, I was like, shit, there's something I don't understand. <laughs> no, no, no. No, that and, makes and, sense. And so often, black mixed race people will say things like, I'm too, wh- I'm too white for black people oh. and I'm too black mm-hmm. for white people. Okay, so what else is happening there? <laughs> What's happening right. there? Because because right. I don't because it won't like it won't just be that binary yeah. and that's funny. And also yeah. like, um, what? Why do you think that is happening? Also, why do you think? Why? Wh- what makes you think in a situation that a black person maybe doesn't accept you because you're lighter skinned? And even if they don't, why do you think they feel like that? Right. There's of the often I think. The emphasis is on the feelings of the black mixed race person as well. And that's uh. something that I borrow from my friend Karis. Shout out Karis. Um, who talks about this. The emphasis on how we feel about that dialogue or situation. Well, actually, maybe the darker skinned black person is a bit pissed off because a lot of their lives you have been positioned as the palatable version of them. Mm. And if that is the case and they don't accept you as black, then you need to accept that in a way. Does that, does that I love sense? that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like, and yeah, some people are going to be annoyed with no, what I that say. Makes so, that, but because who decides who's black? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if, if a black person challenges my blackness, it doesn't change my blackness. No. Right? But what I would say is, in that situation... I would like us as black mixed race people to think about why they might be challenging your blackness and how mm. there's there's right. probably some a bit of merit to that or some lived experience. There's certainly some and, history there. And some history <laughs> and some trauma there as well, which mm. I think we're so easy to like diminish. Mm. Like uh, and I'm like, even when people that have been yeah, have critiqued my article, I'm like, you know, like some of the critiques that you're saying are completely devoid of the feelings of the of darker skinned people as well like you're basically saying that there isn't do, do, do you know what I yeah, mean like you want to question yeah. things like colorism like we can't do that because it's just not factually true so you said something earlier so <laughs> it's another thing I wrote this morning as well when I was like buzzing I was like it's five o'clock in the morning and I was like so excited for this conversation so I was thinking that I do not want the trappings of whiteness 
because whiteness is a form of violence. It is a psychosis. Mm -hmm. And everything earned because of whiteness is fruit of the poison tree. And yet, do I have any say in what that proximity confers? And I think that's a, probably a rhetorical question, mm. right? But then I go on to say, it's really becoming clear to me how white this all is. It adds context to the saying that so many of us hear when we're growing up, that most egregious insult, you act white. Because if we are replicating mm. the space taking, if we are replicating the white fragility, mm -hmm. if we are replicating the white dominance, and in this article, Claudia Rankine says it shouldn't be called white privilege, it should be called white dominance. Mm. Should we be referring to a mixed dominance? Is that a way we should be referring to it? 100%. Okay. 100%. But I don't think it's beyond repair. I do think that having these conversations, engaging more black mixed race people as they're growing up and um, yeah, even um, now like as adults, I think that it can be overcome, but there's gotta be that willingness to tackle these things that you talk about, like yeah. that dominance, the fragility, and some people aren't gonna wanna do that. One of the words I learned from you by re reading your article was positionality. Oh, <laughs> that's a big one in uh, academia. <laughs> I think that's another one of the ones my dad was saying is not uh, uh, adequate um, <laughs> adequate language to use um, for the wider public. Um, Cheers, yeah, so what is your positionality? Like, it's, mm. very, it's very political. Um, what is your... What is your position in society? Like, I, I think the academic... Um, description is slightly different from what I'm sort of talking about here. Um, academic positionality sort of refers to how you um, conduct research. Um, what I'm sort of talking about in this article is what is our positionality of black mixed race people? Um, how is that? How is that understood in a white supremacist society? And how do we navigate those politics? And our positionality as being lighter skinned um, means that we um, can navigate it easier, basically. Mm. But I think it's really important to say, and Emma Dabiri does this um, quite well, is you can talk about black mixed raceness and um, issues of racialization and racism um, whilst also talking about proximities to privilege. You can do both of those things. Right. We can talk about the fact that a lot of our experiences are similar to our black, darker-skinned um, brothers and sisters, but there is there are differences. It reminds me a little bit, and I don't know if this is being a bit um, flippant, you know, like when you get, you know when you get your eyebrows done? Okay, so like back in the day, I used to pluck my eyebrows loads and I used to get really stressed out because they weren't the same. And basically, a beautician once told me that people always think that their eyebrows are twins, but they're not, they're cousins. And I feel like that could possibly be a way of us metaphorically understanding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Is that really like in an insensitive way? I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to. Uh, the um, great thing about metaphors is that they are clear. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like our experiences, the way we are read in society is we are like, it's very rare, particularly in white spaces that you'll be read as anything but black. 
and that is what I talk right. about in my, okay. in my um, yeah. thesis. But that doesn't mean in other spaces we will not be read as black mixed race people and therefore the more desirable or more palatable version of blackness. Yes. <laughs> and we haven't even spoken about, I mean, we don't have time now, like how class plays into this. Class and place, like, like was Mark Duggan a black mixed race man? Like, he was a black man that was unlawfully killed by the police. Mm. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Like yeah. there's so many, um, there's so many, as I, and this is what my argument is, there's so many different intersections that we have to talk about. We can't just focus on our, um, ish, our issues and our plight with our identity. Like there's so many different things that we need to interrogate. Yeah, because but black mixed race people do not exist in a vacuum. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, yeah. Yeah, and when I first started the project, that was one of my like main aims to do is to sort of to argue to de-essentialize um, mixedness. And when I first started, actually, I wasn't just focusing on black mixed race people. I was focusing on say more. So um, you're telling a, bit, a little bit about my personal life now. My partner has two daughters, um, two teenage daughters who are like the loves of my life. Um, and they are mixed race and they are um, white because their dad's white, my partner, um, and their mum is Mauritian and Malaysian, dark skin. So they're Asian, South Asian. Um, and um, years ago when I started the PhD, I was going to talk about, I was going to talk about all mixed groups and try and like do a project to de-essentialise mixedness basically. Um, after spending time with them um, over the past five years and I have a good relationship with their mum as well, I was like, I don't know this. I don't know these. I don't know what this type of racialization is. As in, I don't uh. have an ex- I don't have a lived experience of it. Like the type of experiences with regards to racism, for example, that they experience is like is Islam Islamophobia, for example. Mm. That's not uh, that's not a type of racism that I experience. I experience more anti-blackness, and I'm not saying that racism is integral to understanding sure. Um, <laughs> sure. um, race. But I'm just saying that was an example of how I realised that you know what, actually, the way I will de-essentialise mixed race is by focusing on black mixed race and black mixed race people with white parents. Because that's your specific experience. That is my specific experience. That's what I have access to. And that is what I think I understand a little bit better. And that's what I feel like I have a place to talk to. Whereas I do think um, uh, South Asian and white mixed race people, they, they have a story to tell as well, but I don't think I'm the right person to do that. And I also don't think I can lump them together with... <laughs> black mixed race people as well this is poignant exactly right yeah and i wish Rem- more people would take this approach no it is it's really important and remy joseph salisbury is sort of a, the lead at the moment in this stuff more contemporary scholarship on talking about black mixed race men um and we do need to part of de-essentializing mixedness and not yeah homogenizing us is by sort of separating um these things as well yeah so to close i ask all of my guests the same question what do you hope for I hope for a couple of things. I really want um, black mixed race people in particular to think more about their positionality um, and proximities to privilege. Um, That doesn't mean that you can't talk about your lived experience. It just means that I think that we need to do a bit more work in terms of talking about um, structural advantage. I think that, yes, that's one. And I think another one is that I would like to get, I really hope white parents of black mixed race kids do more work on themselves before they have their kids. 
I think those are two amazing things to hope for. Okay. <laughs> Chantal, I've so thoroughly enjoyed this oh, conversation. I, really I think you're a delight it. and oh. it's 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 energizing to the the perspective that you've brought um I feel better for talking about it yeah, properly. Yeah, I do. I really believe that this can be a bit healing as well. Um yeah, I ha- I want us to do better basically. Yeah. I think we can. Thank you for being here. Thank you. <laughs> Chantel Lewis is an activist, researcher, sociologist, and podcaster. You can find links to her work in the show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. Ashe.